0: College basketball is underway. I hope you are enjoying your Thanksgiving with your families. And it's a time to feast and a time for great people to come on my show. And joining me now, he's one of the best in the business for a reason. The TV voice of the Seattle Mariners, a guy who knows his way around the Big East. He does Big East games quite a bit. He's been doing that for several years for Fox Sports. Uh, He's... A Philly boy at heart, but calls the Pacific Northwest his home now, Dave Sims. Dave, it is a pleasure to have you on.
1: Dave, good to be with you, man. Thanks a lot. Yeah, Big East, man. Big East is a big part of my career, dating back to when I started my first major play-by-play gig, was uh, doing Temple football, 1990 to 1992, and that led to a good run at ESPN. And, uh, and then I got picked up by Fox a few years ago when they got the package. So yeah, the Big East, the Big East has been very, very good to me. It was my light.
0: <laughs> uh, so I definitely want to ask you, uh, this was such an insane time with COVID yeah. and everything. Uh, uh, but I definitely got to ask what it was like to be on the scene uh, covering Mariners baseball. And, you know, granted with limited travel, uh, with everything being limited to, their, um, you know, your division, obviously with the AL West, but also with the NL West, Uh, But just going around and essentially calling games in front of nobody.
1: Well, no, we did all the games. We did all the home games, obviously, at our ballpark at T-Mobile Park, and then all the road games we did from T-Mobile Park as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did did – when I was on the TV side, I'd be in our TV booth. Mike Flowers would be in the visiting TV booth. When I was on the radio side, I'd be in the second row behind a big sheet of plexiglass, probably four by six or something like that. And then Rick Reese was down to my left, and Gary Hill was to my right, and they had a plexiglass uh, in between them too. So, yeah, it was definitely weird. And the first, the first series was at uh, um, Oakland, and it was a foul. I remember early in the game, it was a foul ball hit straight back, and I started ducking. And I'm like, wait a minute, there's nobody here. What are you ducking for? I mean, he <laughs> used to ducking when you see a foul ball hit straight back. So, you know, that took a while to get used to. And then not being able to have yeah your senses were totally deprived. I mean, he couldn't, I mean, he could see what the director was showing. It was a director more of a director's medium than ever, but you know, the sights the smells, you couldn't tell the wind and that, that was a missing ingredient to say the least.
0: Uh, Yeah. And just overall, I mean, you know, at the same time with COVID and everything, I think a big thing was, you know, the rise of, athletes um you know a lot especially considering you know what the state of major league baseball is like in terms of lacking an african-american presence you know in the sport um so what was it like you know as an african-american yourself you know seeing you know a, a rise in speaking up against social injustice
1: Well, oh, i thought it was great and i think you know we sort of led the way with our ball club because we had i think at one, and we might have maxed out at like nine nine black guys who are actually born in the u.s you know who are americans which was really cool and especially cool for me because that's something I'm, I haven't seen something like that since the sixties and seventies. And, um, and our numbers, African-American numbers in baseball are like six, 7%, which is absolutely brutal. And, uh, and there's a whole societal thing that we can get into and that we could be here for hours. I mean, I've already done multiple forums on that. We just had one on broadcast on uh, MLB.com. And I think MLB network's going to want to run it or pieces of it. But uh very gratifying. The guys really took the lead. D. Gordon, uh, you know, veteran guy's been around for a long time. He really took a tremendous lead uh, in that. And and the guys and it was really impressive that game in San Diego. I think after I forget what, so many killings, but there was one and eight and everybody said, "Screw this, we're not playing tonight." And uh, I remember getting to the ballpark and we were looking at video of uh, our player rep, uh, Marco Gonzalez, with D. talking to the Padres player reps. And they basically, you know, they, they, they came to a meeting in the minds and say, hey, man, we're not going to do this. And prior to that, I later found out, I've since found out, that D was very emotional, got up in front of the team, and, you know, laid it all out. And, and everybody was on board, all the white guys, the Latin guys. I mean, it was, our I, you know, I got an extraordinary bunch. And I, I really, I mean, obviously, I'm a you know, married employee, and I root for these guys, and I know them, and I miss talking to them on a daily basis. That was the other thing that was totally. That was the thing I probably missed more than anything, but it's easy to root for these guys.
0: Yeah. And um, I think um, when that boycott happened, that was after Kenosha, correct?
1: That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because we, this was around the same time as
0: the Bucks boycott, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But um, speaking of, though, um, you know, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but the Big East has even, you know, taken an initiative um, with. Uh, B, B B-E, Big East, the change. Um, You know, Val Ackerman's been out in front of the curve, and then um, all 11 teams are going to be sporting BLM patches um, on their jerseys. So, you know, being a guy who covers the league, um, obviously you see the professional sports, but, you know, what's it like to see it now trickle down to the collegiate level too?
1: Well, it's it's awareness. I mean, the late Arthur Ashe and people like Jim Brown and and Bill Russell and the late Muhammad Ali would be thrilled seeing this activism that has – you know, maybe skip the generation and a half. I mean, as a, for me as a kid, there's a great picture of the, the black athlete support of Muhammad Ali as he, you know, justifiably and later, you know, is proven innocent uh, for being a conscientious, conscientious objector, uh, objector. He didn't want to go to Vietnam. Great picture with Ali, um, Bill Russell, Jim Brown, Bobby Mitchell, a whole bunch of notable uh, black athletes. And it harkens back to that time where guys were like, hey, man, we're not going to put up with this nonsense anymore. We have to speak up. We have a we have a platform we're going to use. And I applaud them.
0: Yeah. And, um, but overall, uh, now as we kind of like transition to overall just the Big East and how it's grown, um, you know, people were really questioning back in 2013 when the league kind of imploded and realigned with, you know, the number of teams dwindling from 15 down to 10 – yeah, football and it,
1: football took over, man. That was
0: Yeah, that thirty for thirty recruit for the Big East, you know, laid out a tremendous outline as to why the Big East kinda of disintegrated. But uh people were really questioning, you know, how good would this league still be? And it's they've proven that they could be as good as as it was back in the day. I mean, you're not gonna see like a twenty eleven where you're gonna send, you know, Nearly every single team in your league to the NCAA tournament, like they did in 2011, where they had 11 teams making to the dance, but to still send well over half the league pretty much consistently, and still have just such tremendous talent, and also, uh, you know, alley ooping it to you. Television coverage has made the league you know, that much more appealing and kept it at such a high level.
1: I think it's a continuum of what ESPN and ESPN regional did. Fox has done a a real good job broadcasting pretty much all the games and, and adding, you know, it, for, for me, you know, because I do full-time baseball, I I don't do full-time basketball like I used to. So I'm spared having to go out West. And plus with the economy being what it is and Fox trying to save a couple of bucks, they try to, Keep all the regional guys, you know, the Milwaukee guys, Omaha guys out that way, and the East Coast guys, which I like. But I I think that – I think the competition's been fun, man. I've enjoyed the heck out of it the last few years. I mean, Eddie Cooley's done a great job at Providence. I don't think nationally a lot of people pay attention to what he's done, but he's a terrific coach and a great guy. You know, Jay Wright, Jay Wright, he's going to the Hall of Fame. That's my man. And um, so you got a lot of good – you got a lot of good programs, and a lot of and terrific commitments from from to spend all these schools. I don't think you can really complain about that. So, I, for, as a guy born in the East, you know, in the East Coast, an I-95 corridor, born and raised in New York, Philly, and living in New York most of my life. I mean, it's I, I really dig it, it and, and I think Val continues. They got a good staff there, on the Third Avenue in Manhattan, and um, I'm proud to be associated with them.
0: And uh, you know, a guy, you know, a couple guys that. You got to see, you know, a bit of – more so this first guy that I'm telling you about, a guy who I think unjustly did not hear his name called on draft night last week, but is getting his shot um, as an undrafted free agent with the New York Knicks. Miles Powell, um, you know, you got to see a lot of him over the past couple of years, especially during his meteoric rise – during his junior and senior years, and then, um, of course, you know, the guy that, you know, literally they go hand-in-hand, hand, him and Marcus Howard. Uh, what's it been like just to watch those two grow into the college stars that they became?
1: Well, it's always fun to watch a guy take off. I didn't see much of Howard. I didn't see any Marquette games. I'm trying to <laughs> – think the last time I saw some Marquette games, like Dwayne Wade was there and a the kid that was after him was there. So I didn't see Marquette, but I saw a lot of Seton Hall. And for Miles, his – the weight loss – the quickness gain, the shooting um, range, and the fearlessness going to the hoop and being physical. I mean, just a classic Big East scoring, you know, being a classic Big East two guard. Um, I, boy, do I wish him well. I thought he'd be a low second, but he's going to get a shot with the Knicks. And as you know, the Knicks can use all the help they can get. So I hope that, you know, he may want to lose another 10 pounds. I think shooting-wise, He's got range, and I think he he won't have any I saw him take NBA range shots doing uh, Sea Hall games last the last two years so I don't think that's going to be a problem but I want to see him you know I'm, I'm wondering I want to see how he does in terms of strength and that's why I would you know he's not, he's not heavy he's not really fat, but it's just a maybe a little a little leaner because you're going to need him I mean you are playing as they say with grown ass men in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And, you know there is little room you you better be on it because you can get you can get embarrassed on a nightly basis so i wish him all all the luck in the world i, I think he's got a good heart he's got a, he's a fierce competitor and uh the, the little bit i've seen of Howard on tv i mean his numbers speak for themselves I, again i haven't laid my eyes on him in, in person i've only seen him on tv i like him a lot i really do and you know I, i'm curious to see how you know what happens with him with his career
0: yeah, and overall, I mean, Miles Powell has to be really high up on, you know, the players that you've seen in this new Big East. Uh, but, you know, there's a couple other names that uh, I you I can...
1: I like – let me tell you real quick before I forget it. Sadiq Bay. I loved him last year at Villanova. Mm-hmm. Oh, my. He – that was his one. He, he was a junior. So he was a junior. Sophomore, career. actually. Okay, so I did see him for two years. I liked him. I, I liked him the first year, and then last year it was like the poise – Control his control within the system. Um, when they needed a bucket, you could go to him. He defended. He rebounded. I mean, I I like that kid. I think he's I think he's got some serious game, man. He's got a chance to be, and, I, and he can shoot it. He can you know a big kid. What's he six eight? He can go in the corner. He can go. He can mess with the inside. But I, I really like him.
0: I mean, the kid was a 45% three-point shooter a year ago.
1: Yeah, yeah no, I, he's I I'm, I was sold. I think Raff and I did a game, did Villanova-LaSalle. I think it was the first Saturday in uh, – i might have been a Sunday. It was really weird. It was a Sunday because I remember watching the Eagles. And it was a Sunday night game. It was a weird time, 7 o'clock on a Sunday. And it was great because I got to work with Raph and we go way back. And, and we get to see Jay and all those guys. But it was great. And what, uh, Ashley Howard, I know his old man. That was fun for me, being back in Philly, doing a Big Five game, and seeing all that talent. LaSalle – I don't know a ton about LaSalle after that game. And I don't, I don't remember what they did in the Atlantic 10, but they had some nice players. They had a few nice players.
0: Yeah. And, um, and obviously, you know, you've been able to, you know, get a lot, you know, quite a few, you know, conference games in the big East and uh, you know, looking back at, you know, a few of them, um, you know, you had a really intense game last year on new year's Eve um, at Carnasecca arena, Butler and St. John's where Butler got out to a big lead. I think it was like a 21-point game at the half, and St. John's were it all the way back before Butler yeah. escaped. Um, but um, are there any other games that, you know, come to mind that you've called over the past several years or so? Oh,
1: I mean, I, I, there are, there's so many, so much water under that bridge. Um, like I said, I got the Providence uh, – the Butler game at St. John's. I had Butler at Providence. I think Providence won that game very fiercely contested. Um, Oh geez, I I probably only did about I think I did nine games last year. I'd have to I get the old iPhone out here, but the, those are the ones that that come to mind. It, it's such a great league, and for me, it's you know being home, and um, being able to see this stuff, man. And and again, like I said, I've been doing stuff with the Biggie since nineteen ninety. So it's a thrill. It's a nice change coming out of Seattle doing baseball, and now you know I'm back in familiar arenas. It's so many of the people in the buildings are, you know, are the same people. I've seen them in 30 years, man. It's great.
0: Yeah, and um, I'll, I will tell you one. I think it was bizarre in so many ways. I don't know if you remember this, doing DePaul-Seton Hall, the Saturday night game at the Rock, where – I don't know if you remember this. The rebounding margin was just egregious. I think it was like 42-19 in favor of DePaul, and it was just um, – it's just a shootout. 97-93, I think it was.
1: Yeah, that sounds – right. Uh, yeah, here's a – okay, yeah, let's see. Um, yeah, Villanova LaSalle, Butler St. John's, Butler Providence. Creighton and Providence was a good game. That was, a, that was it. I, I didn't do that many. But I, I, the DePaul game, that might have been the year before.
0: Yeah, that was 2019. And I'll, I'll tell you, like, yeah. I, I feel well, like – Max something. Max uh,
1: The kid is – I like him. Is he in the league? He's in the G League. He was with
0: Chicago's G League team.
1: I liked him as a college player. I thought, you know, he's, who knows, he still might have a shot. I liked him as a college player. I really did. Max Struess. Yeah, good one. Yeah.
0: Struess is loose, man. Like, I, I like, I loved Struess's game. I mean, he had some really good range. Pretty sure he dropped a 40 piece on St. John's at some point um, during that season. Um, I got to also, like, I mean, were there any other, like, really underrated guys that you just, Really, just found joy in
1: calling As look, their games. If I look at the list. My uh, the Saint John up the the Champagny kid is that a, the kid at Saint John's Julian? Yeah, he shows some promise. I mean, he plays hard. Doesn't have much range, but I, you know that, that can come. But I, you know, he gets up and down the court really well. I. I I'm curious to see what Mike uh, what Mike has this year. Here, here's my biggest concern. Are we, you know, we got through. I didn't think we would. I didn't think we'd get to baseball season. Then we started. I didn't think we'd finish it, and we did. We got a champion. Basketball. I don't know, man. Um, I mean, there's already been a ton of games canceled. There's no grand poobah commissioner, and there's no unilateral you know, the protocols or it's just that it, information is not for my money. It's not getting out there. So I'm concerned. I mean, I, and Rick Pitino's on record saying, hey, let's play it in May. I, I get it. And I think, you know, as we speak here at Thanksgiving weekend, and I'm a big believer in Dr. Fauci, a good New York guy from Brooklyn. Um, I tell you what, we're I think I, I agree with him, but with all the people that travel, it's it's a you know, it's a super spreader. And that that's not going to bode well between now and Christmas. So now you're talking about starting conference play a week or two before Christmas or Jan 1 thereabouts. We're going to yeah. be lucky we can get mm-hmm. that done.
0: Yeah, the crazy thing is um, conference play in the Big East, this is going to be the earliest they're opening since realignment, December
1: 11th. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, December 11th through the 23rd of Jam and then a whole bunch of conference games. Yeah. yeah,
0: I believe it's 40, like I think it was like,
1: there's quite a few games like I mean I have it in my notepad I I just remember talking to uh, people about that and they thought that was hoping to get it in you know we'll see
0: yeah I mean I get the approach that like is it a is it a risk worth taking though at least in your opinion to try to get in as many conference games this early because you know normally like the Big Ten the ACC when they switch to a 20 game schedule they would only play like Two conference games in November, December.
1: Well, I I was I'm watching. I, I got the Bowling Green, Michigan game on and Jason Benetti. I don't know who he's working with, but oh, Jason,
0: but ba- Jason Benetti. Oh my God, I, I met him in high school. Uh, he covered high school sports near me, man.
1: Yeah, good dude. Um, but they were talking. Oh, and the other guy I you know, uh, Dale N. Cuff and Jordan Cornett are doing the studio, mm. and they were talking about how this this season's affected the gimme games, if you will. They're not, they're, you know, you have to eliminate a lot of these games. You know, these final scores are one night. Somebody got beat 160-something, some outrageous number. Yeah, 122-60 to 60 was Illinois. Yeah, beat one NC, uh, NCA and T, I I think it was, or mm-hmm. something? Yep. A, a lot of those games are getting, you know, are, are, you know, getting scrubbed. So, you know, you're going to start right out in the conference, and they, they made a good point about you don't know what you have, yada, yada, yada. But the point being, though, I'm just concerned about the health, man. I'm lucky I'm still in Seattle because of tax uh, the residency laws and I can't, I don't go home for another couple of weeks and I'm glad I'm not traveling for Thanksgiving weekend. I really am. And I, I'm just concerned that there's going to be explosion, you know, a surge on top of the surge and that's going to affect, that's going to affect us in the sports world, man. And uh, I'm just concerned about it. I don't, I don't know how, what they're going to do and how they're, you know, they're going to try to pull it off. Big concern.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, just to wrap this up, um, just to see the Big East like get to where it where it is now. I mean, you've seen it grown year after year after year, um, and with the addition of UConn back in the league. Yeah, hey, um, good. Yeah, yeah, and, and they they are going to be quite the force to be reckoned with. I mean, gotta love what Danny Hurley is uh, doing out in uh, Hartford. In um, a hey, well, good guy. But yeah, but overall though. um, just to see the league, you know, people questioning, you know, was the league dead after 2013? And here we are in 2020 saying, like, not only is it alive, but it's arguably thriving.
1: Oh, I would say so. And, I, you know, I haven't seen – I haven't talked to Jay in a couple of months, but I, I hear that he's loaded again. I mean, Jay's got two championships in the last, what, six years or something. Correct. So yeah, it. and, it and something like, what is it, two 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 uh, titles in how many years now?
0: Yeah, he won. He's won two of the last. Uh, if you don't want to count twenty twenty, he won two of the last four. If we're not going to count twenty twenty, yeah. But um, and not to mention, I mean, with the regular season championships, he's won at least a share of the regular season title every year except one.
1: Oh. Yeah, yeah, good league. I mean, you know, I I I can. Can't you know throw any more hosannas out there? I mean, it's it's a great league, man. And um, for me, it, I, I think there was a, it appears to be there's a lot of turnover, so a lot of new guys I got to learn this year.
0: Yeah, and uh, um, I also got to ask you too. Um, just with the partnership um, with you know Fox Sports, I think that is what helped. That's what's helped validate the biggies. I think I don't, and you probably know about this getting. John Tess round ball rock on there. Even though I even though I wasn't I was barely alive for when the NBA was on NBC, I know about it and how iconic that theme is. Uh but literally it's like a match made in heaven and it's Well, little-
1: I would disagree with you. To that very point, it is iconic. It evokes an era in the what late in, in the nineties when, you know, was, um, you'd hear Mark from oh, Chicago Splurdy, about the Chicago Bo-. you know, doing that whole thing. Was- <laughs> I, I just I love it. And my kids were, were, were youngsters at that point. and And man, it was must see TV, but it's still jarring to me. I think this was this last year was the second year they used that song. Correct. And when we'd come on the air and I'd hear that, I was like, this is not, it just, it doesn't work for me. Like I feel dirty. It, it does it just, it's from a different era. I think John wrote a hell of an ant. I mean, it's a great song. But it just brings back, you know, here's Pippin on the lob. You know, Pippin to Jordan. And the balls lead by 20. That's what I think of every time I see it or hear it. <laughs> So it's very difficult for me to put it together with the, the Big East at this stage of, of my life and its existence. And I would hope and I, I, I highly doubt they, they changed it. But I, I just, I, that, it, that's from another era. Let's establish something that's our own and that, that, that marks this time and space. As opposed to park. and I'm a big history guy. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but I just don't think if you're gonna, there was no iconic song from the Big East back, and if there was, I would just soon have that. I mean, it just it just speaks, it it just screams NBA, and we're doing college hoops. Come on.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I get what you're coming from. Like you know, you know, there's some things you just got to leave in the past, but. Uh, <laughs> I will say this also, like, I think the partnership, and I kind of made the parallel because when the new Big East came about in 2013, Fox Sports 1, like, was created. And strangely enough, when the old Big East was born, that was the year ESPN was born. And I really think that just overall the influx of talent, because you are one of a plethora of talent, talented play-by-play guys that just bring the Big East to life. So, over, I mean, I'm sure you listen and have watched other guys, you know, like Gus and Brando and all them. Uh, but overall, you know, to be a part of that tremendous
1: I – I mean, I live in the Big East, man. <laughs> it's, you know, the, you know, Philly, New York, Syracuse. I mean, I'm still pissed off Syracuse and all those guys left, but what are you going to do?
0: You're telling me, man. Listen, I was at the last Big East tournament, and oh. like the last Syracuse-Georgetown game in the Garden, I was there.
1: So it's just mind-blowing that we don't have that anymore. I mean, there were games. I mean, you know, there was games I used to circle whether I had them or not. You know, Yukon saint John, St. John-Syracuse, Syracuse-Georgetown, Georgetown-Connecticut when Jimmy, when, when Mahoon was there. And, uh, you know, they were, you know, Donnie Marshall and all those knuckleheads. I mean, I've worked with Donnie. He is a super guy, does a great job on the air. And uh, it was a, it was a great age, man. And that was, it was like, the second golden age, because the first golden age was obviously in their you know, building up into the mid eighties and, and into, you know, Lexington when they had the three teams in the final four. Mm-hmm. So and I've been, I was, what was I doing? I was at NBC Philly during that time, but um, yeah, it's, I, I just, I, I love the test song, but I just, it just doesn't fit for me. <laughs> and, and I think guys of my generation, I mean, if you talk to Spinarkle, I think he'd say the same thing. Jimmy and I are good friends. I, loved, I love Jim Spinarkle. We've done dozens of games together over the years. We always have some laughs, and uh, I mean, I've been so lucky, so blessed to work with him and, and Raph. And, uh, he doesn't do games anymore for us, but uh, uh, Ronnie Perry, we oh God, we, we had blast with him. And uh, I I just been so lucky working with so many good guys doing biggie's basketball, man. It's,
0: yeah, like in hell, even even a woman, Sarah Kustock. She's tremendous. Sarah,
1: yeah, you know, her first gig was with us doing Biggie's football in 20, 2005, I think it was. Yeah, that was her first main gig, and now she's a freaking superstar. So I mean, yeah, she's uh, watch her, watch her, uh, get her sea legs, you know.
0: It's it's always tremendous, and you know it's like I I think honestly like to to be a part of such an a tremendous plethora of broadcasters throughout Fox Sports covering the Big East, you know, like, how much does that, like, actually mean to you?
1: Oh, it's, I'm proud of it, man. I'm proud of the association. I'm proud to be recognized, uh, you know, for all that work and all these years, and, and it's not, like I said, when I go to some of these arenas, I mean, a lot of the SIDs and ADs or associates or whatnot, or heck, even guys who work in a building, yo, what's up, good to see you, how you doing, where you been, you know, I don't think. So, uh, the stat guys, I mean, I get to work with, what, Ray Perry up in Providence, and John Lombobarda in New York, at St. John's. either at the Gardner, St. John's, or Seton Hall. And then, you know, when, when Pitt and all those guys – I mean, there's so many good relationships. The great – Dick Grote, who was a – he was a, the national basketball – he was the college basketball player of the year, 1953, at Duke. And then, great baseball career. And then he – I think he, they just retired him. his, like, 85, 86. But he was doing – Pitt basketball for years. You have Bill Hillgrove. Bill Hillgrove still does pit football, basketball, Steelers. He's 80. I get to see all those guys. Joe, uh, Joe D'Ambrosio when he was doing uh, UConn games. I mean, uh, Rich uh, Chabot, uh, yeah, Chavotkin down in Georgetown. I mean, it's it's like it's an extended family, man. It's great. Man, Richie's been doing Georgetown games since way, way back. When, as a matter of fact, when Big John got there. So, yeah, man, it's it's been a great, it's been a fabulous association. It really has been.
0: I mean, n- honestly if there could be one word to relate with you know correlate the big east with it, it it's the word family and you pretty much summed it up uh D- dave um i really appreciate the time i love the insight talking about you know covering baseball during covid and social injustice and all. like we really crossed off so many boxes you know Because <laughs> honestly like i want to make this a podcast that's just not just about basketball you know
1: yeah i got you i got you hey man Tim, I got to run, but I enjoyed it, and all the best. Hopefully, I'll uh, you know, catch up to you down the road, down the road somewhere, and, and hopefully there will be a college hoop season. I will get to do some games.
0: <laughs> um, and I can't wait to hear your voice, and especially once baseball season comes back again when the weather starts heating up. Can't wait. Uh, can't wait for that, to, to and uh, hear, hear some giddy-up. That's it. Giddy-up, baby. Giddy-up. There we go. All That's right. how to end it. Dave, appreciate the time. I really do. You got it, Tim. Hey, man, be
1: well. Take care.
0: All right. Yep, more on the Igloo coming on after this. Welcome back inside the Igloo. And I hope also that all of you who are listening had a wonderful Thanksgiving, that you're enjoying college football on this Saturday, and that you've been enjoying the last three days of basketball. Because it's finally time to break down the first games that we got to see within the Big East this year. And let's start with night number one, uh, Thanksgiving Eve, So many teams in action. Literally starting at high noon with Xavier playing host to Oakland. And this was just ugly. Xavier led 53-12 at halftime and rolled with a 101-49 victory. Man, Zach Fremantle just played like a man in this game. 21-12. Paul Scruggs. Sneaky good game from him. Although he didn't really shoot well, only 7 points, he did grab 6 rebounds and dished out 10 assists. So, again, the senior maturity from him, that's what I took away from what some might look to as a bit of a slow night from Paul Scruggs. And then on top of that, Nate Johnson, in his first game of the Musketeers, transferred from Gardner-Webb, had 17 points, 5 of 9 from deep. Xavier was just on fire from deep out of the gates. And they were led by Kiki Tandy, coming off the bench, 18 points, 6 of 10 from distance. Oh, and he had a clean 7 assists, too. And as a team, Xavier, 34 assists on 43 made field goals. Pretty damn impressive, you ask me, and then Other important stat lines to note, Dwan Odom had 12 points and 4 assists in his first game as a freshman. Brian Griffin, the transfer from Mercy College, he had 8 points and 8 rebounds off the bench. And how about the redshirt freshman, Deontay Miles, 12 points in 18 minutes. Really not much else to say other than Xavier just beating the brakes off of Oakland. Another blowout. Providence crushed Fairfield 97-56. to Nate Watson. You know, people were looking at David Duke to carry the load for this team, and Providence got off to a slow start, leading only by 12. But Providence led by Nate Watson, their senior big man. A double-double for him, 23 points and 10 rebounds. David Duke was solid in this game, too. 5-14 uh, for 14 isn't Great shooting overall, but he was 3 for 4 from distance. He also grabbed 7 rebounds, dished out 4 assists, 18 points on the day. And then A.J. Reeves, he had a clean 14 points. Could have shot the ball better, but hey, it's game number 1. You just kind of got to roll with the punches. And then Noah Horsler, he had 11 off the bench Bryson Goodine had a solid 14 minutes off the bench and scored four points. Um, Again, that's a Syracuse transfer right there. And then their freshman, uh, one of their freshmen, Ed Cross... Actually, I misspoke on that. Another transfer, Ed Crosswell, a junior from Philly, 10 points, six rebounds in just 14 minutes. And then on top of that, Chris Monroe... A guy who's struggled getting playing time at the end of seasons. First game of this season, 8 points in 14 minutes. And, and again, you got to credit Ed Cooley and his defense. They held Fairfield just 2 of 15 from distance. And just 37% shooting for, for the entire game. And then the other notable blowouts, UConn. They got off to a slow start against Central Connecticut, only leading by 7 at the break, 48-41. But they end up rolling to a 102-75 victory. And the guy that carried the load is a guy that is going to have to play with a chip on his shoulder for most of this season, considering he was probably the most notable snub for the preseason All-Big East first team on Big East Media Day, James Booknight. He finished with 20 points and 8 rebounds. 7 of 12 from the field, so over 50%. And all but one UConn starter uh, got into double digits. R.J. Cole, a Hampton transfer in his first game, 17 points. Tyler Polly with 14, Isaiah Whaley with 12. And how about Brendan Adams, the junior, coming off the bench? This guy's going to be a spark plug. 6 of 10 from the field, 3 of 5 from distance to finish with 15 points. And R.J. Cole, yeah, 17 points is great, but 6 assists. That's what you're going to want out of your starting point guard. And then on top of that, Adama Sanogo, the freshman, was brilliant. 8 points and 7 rebounds in 17 minutes. And getting uh, Josh Carlton off the bench. Just three minutes, only scored two points, which kind of surprising to not see him start. And then Andre Jackson from Amsterdam, New York, which is only about an hour and a half or so away from me, maybe actually is less than that. I would say more like hour 10. In his first collegiate game, 19 minutes, four points, five rebounds, six assists. He was doing a little bit of everything. Loved the play from him. He was doing all the little things right. Speaking of brilliant freshmen, Dawson Garcia, the preseason Big East freshman of the year, he led the way in his first collegiate game for Marquette. Golden Eagles led Arkansas Pine Bluff 50-18 at the break and rolled to a 99-57 win. Garcia led the way, 29 minutes, 19 points in his collegiate debut. Theo John with a double-double. You don't really hear much about Theo John scoring, but 13 points and 12 rebounds, a real solid night for the senior from Minneapolis. The other starters they had, Samir Torrance, only six points, but he did grab seven rebounds, which is really high for a guy who's only six foot three. And another upstate guy, by the way, Syracuse represent. Uh, Kobe McEwen with a dozen. And Jamal Kane had 16 and six. Off the bench, leading scorer was Justin Lewis with 10 points. Uh, Greg Elliott also chipped in 10. Crazy thing you know Greg Elliott is a redshirt junior but i mean this is his fourth year being at Marquette he came in with that class that included Theo John back in 2017 and and Jamal Kane as well a couple transfers that played their first games in a Marquette uniform Jose Perez who was recently approved for a waiver Gardner Webb transfer he scored 6 points in 12 minutes was perfect from the field 2 for 2 including a three point pointer made And then DJ Carton with three points. Kind of struggled, though. Getting into foul trouble. 19 minutes, again, just three points on one of five shooting. And then there were some close calls. Starting with Georgetown against UMBC. Was it a little bit surprising? A little? But you got to remember that this is a Georgetown team that's not going to finish... Higher than 10th in the Big E standings. I really just don't see it. And the guy that carried the load, and I really believe that this is going to be their leading scorer throughout the year, Javon Blair. 23 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists. What concerns me is the grad transfer from Arkansas, Jalen Harris, putting up a goose egg. Although he did have 6 assists, he went 0 for 6 from the field. More concerning, 7 of 27 from three point land as a team. And then 37.3% shooting it, 28 for 75. They should also be thinking they're lucky stars. They won the rebounding war easily by 20, 58 to 38. They had two different guys with at least 10 rebounds, led by Kudus Wahab. He had a double double, 12 points, 12 rebounds for the sophomore from Nigeria. Jamarco Pickett, only 10 points, but he grabbed 8 rebounds. Donald Carey had a real solid game. The Siena transfer and native from the DMV, Upper Marlboro, Maryland. Same hometown, by the way, as Chris Jenkins. 13 points, 4 rebounds. Knocked down 3 triples as well. But what does concern me, Javon Blair taking 22 shots. Is this going to be something we're going to see throughout the year? If so... Because I don't think this Georgetown team should be relying that heavily on Blair with shot with his shot selection. I really just don't see that happening. But how about this, though? Kobe Clark, a 6'4 freshman from St. Louis, grabbed 10 rebounds in just 12 minutes. Only one point, but man, those 10 rebounds made a huge difference. Leading scorer off the bench was Timothy Egohefe The seven foot sophomore had four points and five rebounds in 16 minutes. And again, Georgetown came away with a 70-62 win. But can we just talk about Darnell Rogers for a second? Five foot two senior from Baltimore. Little dude's a baller, man. I I don't want to like use like diminutive turning you know, terminology with him, but like the shortest man to ever play in the NBA was five foot three. and That was Muggsy Bowes. And Rogers is an inch shorter than that at five foot two. But he put up a solid game. He had 13 points, which was tied for the team lead along with Brandon Horvath. So Georgetown at McDonough holds on for a 70-62 win. Another team that held on was Butler. 66 to 62 over Western Michigan. And when I saw this stat line, I was a little bit surprised. Aaron Thompson with 21 points. This is a guy that everyone knows is a distributor. But turns out he's a really damn good scorer too and he proved it for, uh Wednesday night. 21 points on 6 of 9 shooting, made his only three-point attempt, 8 of 11 from the charity stripe too. However, only one other Bulldog was in double figures, and that was uh, Jair Bolden, the South Carolina transfer with 15 points and 9 rebounds. Not a bad Butler debut, only being one rebound away from a double-double. All five Butler starters scored. Bryce Golden with 6, Bryce Enzi with 9, Miles Tate, the freshman, with 4, and then the leading scorer off the bench was... Another freshman, Chuck Harris, who had seven points. And then the only other bulldog to score off the bench was Jacoby Coles. Freshman from Denton, Texas, had four points, five rebounds coming off the bench. And it was a tight game that Butler barely pulled out by four. So not a great look for Butler early on. You know, they're projected to finish eighth. They're going to need to learn how to win games by, you know, distributing the scoring a little more evenly. I mean, you know, if you're doing the math, Aaron Thompson contributed to 32% of his team's scoring in terms of points. You know, you're going to have to get supplemental scoring somewhere. I mean, to only have, you know, Actually, more than half of their scoring coming from Thompson and Bolden. They're going to have to get better efforts, especially from Enzi and Golden, Bryce Squared. If they don't, they're going to be at the bottom of the Big East with DePaul and Georgetown. Speaking of a team that might be towards the bottom, St. John's projected to finish ninth in the Big East standings at Big East Media Day. They were in a Dogfight at the Lapchick Tournament in Queens against St. Peter's Wednesday night. And credit Shaheen Holloway, a guest I had on my show not too long ago. His Peacocks were ready to play, and they made it a ball game. And they had it late, but St. Peter's just let it get away from them. They tried running an inbound play to send the ball down the court on the inbound, but it just didn't work out, and it ended up leading to the game-winning three-pointer by Vince Cole coming off the bench. The Juco transfer from Charleston, South Carolina leads the way with 21 points including that game winning three pointer, 8 of 12 from the field, 5 of 6 from distance. As the Red Storm escape 76 to 75. Two other Red Storm players were in double digits. Pasha Alexander, the freshman from Brooklyn, brilliant debut from him, 16 points, 7 rebounds and a couple of assists. Rashim Dunn was hurt, though, in this game. And keep in mind, also, St. John's without Julian Champagny might have played a big role as to why this game was so close. So with that small ball lineup, Rashim Dunn, only 22 minutes, he got hurt, only scored five points, dished out five assists. And then Isaiah Moore, another transfer from Columbia, South Carolina, 12 points, nine rebounds. Actually, yeah, different town in South Carolina. Uh, Marcellus Erlington only had four points, six points from Greg Williams, but all all those points were from the charity stripe. Arnaldo Toro, the transfer from George Washington, had six points. And then the freshman, Dylan Adewusu, he had six points in his debut off the bench in 24 minutes. So St. John's, they escaped they in that game, 76-75, and then fast forward to the Empire Classic, Later that night, Villanova-Boston College in a late tip-off in Uncasville, Connecticut. Boston College put up a fight in this game. It was tied at halftime, and Boston College looked like they were in control in the second half. But Villanova, like Villanova teams have done in the past, just found a way to blow it open late, pulling away to win 76-67. Star of the game, easily Jeremiah Robinson-Earl, 18 points, 10 rebounds, 9 of 14 shooting. Colin Gillespie was. He was good. Just struggled shooting the rock. 15 points. Seven assists. Just five of 16 shooting, including one of six from distance. Caleb Daniels in his debut, the Tulane transfer was solid. 14 points. 5 of 9 shooting. 2 of 6 from distance. Justin Moore was also 2 of 6 from deep. He had 14 points. 5 of 10 shooting. They had to fight foul trouble too. Sam Um Justin Moore and Jermaine Samuels each had four fouls. And Samuels, the only starter that didn't score in double figures, he had only seven points. And Villanova, they're so lucky that they have such a good starting lineup that they don't have to rely on the bench as much. Cole Swider only had six off the bench and Brandon Slater Brandon Slater only had two. And how about former Big East player from Providence, Makai Ashton Langford, for the Eagles, 15 points. 6 of 11 shooting, 2 of of 5 from distance. He also had 6 rebounds and 3 assists. But Villanova, again, proves to be too much, and they win. And they would win again on Thanksgiving night in the championship game of the 2K Empire Classic against 18th-ranked Arizona State. And we got to see, again, just how good Jeremiah Robinson Earl is. In the championship game, 28 points, 8 rebounds, 11 of 17 from the field, 2 of 4 from downtown. Easily the most outstanding player of those first two games. On top of that, 16 from Justin Moore, only 11 from Colin Gillespie, and another 14 from Caleb Daniels, and only 7 bench points for the Wildcats. and They didn't really need much because the starters carry the load, especially Robinson Earl. And you got to credit them for limiting Remy Martin, preseason All American. 37 minutes, they held him to just five points and two assists. Two of eight shooting, one of five from downtown. You just got to credit Villanova and the players and the coaches and the scouting report they put together to stop Remy Martin. That was a huge difference maker. Meanwhile, St. John's they had some struggles against LaSalle on Thanksgiving Day in Queens. They were only up 6 at the break, but again, Vince Cole with another monster game starting in place of the injured Rasheem Dunn. 6'6", junior, 19 points, 5 boards, 4 assists to lead the way for an 82-65 Red Storm win. Greg Williams after struggling against St. Peter's on Wednesday, he had 13 points and a strong bounce-back effort. He also had four rebounds and two assists. Another uh, rebounding effort, well, bounce-back effort, I should say, from Marcellus Erlingson. He had 14 points coming off the bench this time as they started Josh Roberts for size in the middle. The 6'9 junior from Troy, Alabama. 16 minutes, four points, but Erlington saw more of the minutes as did Dylan Adewusu. And he had 26 minutes off the bench, chipped in 10 points. Pasha Alexander kind of came back down to earth, only 8 points, and same with Isaiah Moore, he only had 9 points to go along with 7 rebounds, but a much better effort from St. John's. Earlier in the day, Xavier Bradley was a circus. Low-scoring game at the half, Xavier only led by two. And then the late stages of the game, it goes back and forth. Xavier takes the lead. Bradley takes the lead. And then Xavier getting the lead back. And a really, it, I, can't, I can't really phrase it other than it was just a freshman mistake from Dwan Odom. Instead of pulling it out, he aggressively attacked the basket and missed leading to a Bradley basket on the other end that gave the Braves the lead. But on the other end, though, Oda made up for it, hitting the game-winning layup with 3.8 seconds left to give Xavier the lead. But hold on. Bradley gets fouled with less than a second to go with a 1-1. and And they miss the front end. Free throws win and lose games, kids. I said it before, I'll say it again. They win and lose games, and that lost the game for Bradley. Front end of a 1-1 one one misses. Xavier holds on 51-50 to 50 in a dogfight. Fremantle, after 21 on Wednesday, he chips in 19 on Thursday with 7 rebounds. Jason Carter, only 2 points, but credit him for doing a lot of other things right. 11 rebounds. Brian Griffin also had 9 rebounds. Nate Johnson had 8 rebounds. They rebounded the hell out of the basketball in this game. Antoine Odom, although he only had 4 points, he got the big basket when he needed to. And Paul Scruggs, after a slow day on Wednesday, came back and scored 17 points. Senior leadership. And that made up for Nate Johnson struggling as much as he did. Same with Dwan Odom and Jason Carter. And same with Kiki Tandy, who only had four points off the bench. And Brian Griffin with only two points. And Deontay Miles going scoreless. Xavier just found a way to win. A little bit of luck, but they found a way to win. And they would find a way to win again on Friday against Toledo. And they trailed by four at halftime. Remember, this Toledo team took Notre Dame to overtime in South Bend last year. But Xavier, the big difference maker being Kiki Tandy. A bounce back game, 24 points in 32 minutes, off the bench. 7 of 17 from the field, 3 of 5 from downtown. Funny thing is, the rest of the team was 3 for 17 from deep. Paul Scruggs had 15 to compliment him. Zach Freeman, although he had a battle foul, battle foul trouble, had to get that out cleanly. Had 4 fouls. 9 points, 4 rebounds, 4 of 10 shooting, including 0 for 4 from deep. Jason Carter had to carry the load on the glass again. 13 rebounds and 5 points in 30 minutes. Dewan Odom had 8 points. Nate Johnson with 5. How about Brian Griffin? He's playing like a real man, and he's shown why he led all of Division Two in rebounding last year at Mercy College. 8 points, 4 rebounds, 11 minutes off the bench. And Xavier holds on to beat Toledo 76-73. Meanwhile, Marquette took care of business again, this time beating Eastern Illinois. 75 to 50. Dawson Garcia leads the way again with 16 points and eight rebounds. Five of ten shooting, including three of four from downtown. Kobe McEwen was solid with 14 points. DJ Carton off the bench had 13. A big day for him. It'll be interesting to see if he can crack the starting lineup, but you know, that remains to be seen. But again, we'll see. Justin Lewis, he had 10 points off the bench. The freshman from Baltimore, just real solid in 20 minutes of play and grabbing eight rebounds. And then Theo John was a point and a rebound away from a double-double, but he was perfect from the field, three of three, field goal-wise. And he also made a three. So props to Theo John. For knocking down a three, man. Like y- you love to see it. Especially if you're Wojo. And then Samir Torrance and Jamal Kane, they both struggled. Six points for Torrance, but he did dish out six assists. And for Kane, he made up for his six points. A slow night for him on the glass with seven rebounds at the Pfizer Forum and root re- but a strong defensive effort again for Wojo and his team. A team that isn't really known for their defense. Holding team, both of their opponents so far, under 60. Pretty solid. And then UConn, after playing in a track meet Wednesday night against Hartford on Friday, they play a much more defensive game. They got out to a big lead early, a 12-point lead at the break, but it stayed that way at the end with UConn winning 69-57. to James Booknight, 18 points. It's exactly what you want out of him. 15 from Jalen Gaffney after he struggled. On Wednesday night, Tyler Polly put up a goose egg because he was battling foul trouble. But the guy who made up for it in his place, Adama Sanogo. Eight points in 11 minutes off the bench. And how about the game from the junior Tyrese Martin, the URI transfer? Six points and 10 rebounds off the bench in 25 minutes. And then how about Jalen Gaffney after being held to single digits against CCSU? He puts up 15 points. On four of ten shooting on Friday, including six of eight from the free throw line, so UConn off to a two and zero start, and the only loss that came for the Big East this weekend, you know, heading into Saturday, was Seton Hall, who arguably had the toughest game outside of Villanova playing Arizona State. I mean, that was on a neutral court. Seton Hall was playing a legit road game against Louisville with fans in the building. And it was a tight game throughout, and it looked like in the second half, Louisville was running away with it, because it was 60 to 49 with less than 10 minutes left. And then keep in mind, Bryce Aiken twisted his ankle and missed the rest of the game after suffering that injury late in the first half. But as expected, Mamu steps up big, 22 points, 10 rebounds to get them back in the ball game. They also made some important shots late. You know, Jared Roden hit some big shots. Mamu hit some big shots. Shavar Reynolds made some big plays, and so did T'Call Molson, who came off the bench and played 29 minutes. But Louisville, they used two late free throws to. They used some late free throws to win the game. But they almost lost out on it because with seven-tenths of a second left, Molson is fouled on a three-point attempt, down three. And credit him for using a nice pump fake to draw the foul. It worked, and he made the first two shots. But in the third one, he just front-rimmed it. It was batted out by the Louisville defense, and that was it. So Seton Hall, unfortunately, falls to 0-1, a gut-wrenching loss. But honestly, they showed, even without Bryce Aiken, that they can be a legitimate top eight seed in the NCAA tournament this year. And that eight line is where I think they could very well end up. Notable stat lines, again, the only the only Pirates in double figures outside of Mamu. Jared Roden with 11 points, but he, he did struggle. 3 of 12 shooting, 1 of 5 from 3. 6 rebounds, though, but my star of the game and the guy who is going to make the biggest difference for Seton Hall this year, Shavar Reynolds. The senior, former walk-on from Manchester Township, New Jersey. 4 of 8 shooting, 1 of 2 from 3. 3 boards, 3 assists. And he was playing really solid defense on Carly Jones. Held him to just 6 of 17 shooting. Which I think is a successful night if you ask me. And his strong play on the defensive end. His ability to now run the offense. And now now that he's a known scorer. and, And he can show plenty of times, that he can score. That is really what can help put Seton Hall over the top and validate them as a tournament team and being a top 8 seed rather than being in that 9, 10, 11 range like people think they're going to be at right now. And we'll just have to see how much of that's for real when they go into their next game, a newly scheduled game because, you know, 2020... You know you literally just schedule games three day two two or two days before when they take on St Joe's Monday night in Connecticut at Mohegan Sun so we'll we'll just have to see and looking ahead not a lot of games going on uh Villanovas number three in the country they'll look to continue their good start they get Virginia Tech at the Air Force Reserve Basketball Hall of Fame Tip-Off Classic, also in Connecticut. So Villanova is staying a little bit longer than expected to get another game in, and then in place of the Baylor-Seton Hall game in the 430 time slot on FS1 on Sunday, it'll be Creighton opening up their season against North Dakota State, the two-time defending champs from the Summit League. Be really interesting to see how Creighton looks coming out of quarantine, and if they can shoot at a high level, despite that, with the likes of Marcus Zigarowski and Mitch Ballack and Denzel Mahoney. Again, that'll that that remains to be seen, and we'll just have to find out on Sunday. So that's all I got. Uh, for my analysis and of course a big thank you to Dave Sims, a true professional, such a likable guy. I really loved having him on this episode talking about so much more than the game of just basketball. And of course, big East basketball, you know, you don't really find a lot of people like Dave and I'm so glad I milked the catchphrase out of him before, uh, before we wrapped it up, uh, Dave, Dave's great. You you can't say a bad thing about him, honestly. And it sucks with him being out in the Pacific Northwest that we won't see him on many Big East games this year. It's going to suck, honestly. So, on the next episode of the Igloo, I got Seton Hall PA announcer Tim McClune going to talk about what it's going to be like inside an empty rock this year, what he thinks. That's on the next episode of the Igloo. Coming out... Eh, say Monday. I'm pretty, like, literally it's like with my COVID, it's like scheduling with COVID. It's kind of like rolling with the punches. Like, yeah, I have a tentative date, but who knows? But that's the goal. I'm going to try to have it Monday because there's going to be a lot of action coming up next week with the Big e's Big 12 battle officially starting Tuesday night with Oklahoma State taking on Marquette in Milwaukee. And then, of course, Thursday night, Mac McClung and Texas Tech taking on St. John's down in Lubbock. I'm going to preview that and all the other actions and talk about this past weekend, um, well, this weekend's action that'll be in the past when the next episode of the Igloo comes out on Monday. So until then, this is Timmy Ice signing off from the Igloo. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed your Thanksgiving weekend, and I'll catch you next time.